This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. I've got post-democratic debate analysis and yes, Andrew Yang and I actually agree on something. Not going to want to miss this special edition of The Thomas Guide. Well, it's debate night. I watched the whole thing so you didn't have to, but you came to the right place because I wrote down the things that struck me and I think what we're going to be talking about in the coming days. Plus, look, let's be honest. Most of the things that happen in the debate aren't going to fundamentally change the race. But there are a few things that I saw that I think will be ongoing themes that will end up affecting the race um, and aren't going away. So broadly speaking, um, it was a little more entertaining than the prior debates. If nothing else, everybody got a little more speaking time because it was a smaller field. Booker, uh, Julian Castro, and obviously Kamala Harris dropped, although she did qualify for the debate. Um, were not on the stage. It was a much smaller stage at LMU here in Los Angeles. Um, I, I found the light, just this is me being picky, but I found the lighting to be crappy. I think everybody looked terrible. Joe, Joe Biden looked awful and old. You could see his age spots. Buttigieg's beard um, was popping through. It just, it just didn't, he didn't look good. Um, but I don't, that's both faulting the makeup artists as well as the lighting in the studio was not well done. And the add on top of it, they, they had this moving background that was slightly distracting. There was just too much uh, word movement in the background. All right. There are a couple things uh, that struck my attention. Um, first, if Joe Biden is the nominee, and I still don't think he will be, but of course he has it. He has a good shot. Look, he's still top of the polls. He still has a shot. It's very possible that he is um, and gets through this process. He said he had a couple goofy things tonight. Goofy moments when he turned around just randomly and started walking behind him and odd. But I don't think any of that is going to matter long term. There is one quote that's going to stick with him. And if he's the nominee, Trump and the Republicans are going to beat the crap out of him for this line on jobs. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, because the opportunity, the opportunity for those workers to transition to high paying jobs. Tom said, is real. We're the only country in the world that's ever taken great, great crises and turned them into enormous opportunities. Did you just hear that? Yes, he's willing to eliminate jobs. Absolutely. Here's the problem. 
he thought that was his that was his bow to tie the green new jobs, modernize the economy, standard uh, leftist approach. He thought that was a non-threatening way to deliver that. The problem is, if you are in uh, the Rust Belt, for instance, and you're a coal miner, um, or you are pick pick the industry, uh, you work in the oil sector or whatever it is. Let's say you're over the age of fifty years old. Do you have time? Do you have a second act in your career to retrain? Spend what the better and start at the bottom of the food chain in this new job that you don't even know what the hell that job actually is or when it might prevail uh, or avail itself? No. Or would you rather go with an elected official or a candidate Trump that says, I'm, I'm bringing back the jobs, unemployment's at a record low. And you know what? You don't have to, you just keep working. You do what you've been doing your whole life. I'm going to stick it to China. And I'm going to put America first. Who do you think has a more compelling argument there? That's that clip right there is going to haunt Joe Biden if he ends up being the nominee. That's the lasting thing from this debate. Even though Biden really didn't do much talking at the debate, truthfully, he he did probably the least, almost the least of talking, considering the guy is technically the front runner in polling. But that's one of the things. The other thing that I loved uh, was I love friction in these debates. I mean, who doesn't? And there was much talk about Pete Buttigieg's wine cave. And if you haven't heard this story yet, it's been an evolving subplot now for at least a week or so of a clash between Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg raises, and he's raising lots of money. He's very successful at that, but he's doing it in a hybrid manner. He's both raising lots of small dollar donations and he's raking in classic traditional fundraising, um, some would call in a democratic primary, special interest cash fundraising. Ooh. And uh, he was in California, I believe in Northern California. And he had a VIP fundraiser at a place called the Wine Cave. And the reason we know this is because Buttigieg a couple weeks ago got blasted for having closed door fundraisers with all of these fat cat donors, making all these hypothetical promises, being a sellout. And so instead of not having those fundraisers, Buttigieg, along with, I think, Biden, and perhaps one other, I think Booker as well, said, uh, okay, I'm crying uncle. What we'll do is we'll make them open door to the press if they want to come. Well, the problem with that is, look, do um, at these events, and I know them well because a lot of my candidates have, nothing's promised. It is literally a rubber chicken. Any special favors that would have been handed out by Buttigieg probably are, were, were handed out in private prior to the prior to the event, or a bunch of these major fat cat donors are accruing chits that they will cash in later on when the time comes. So the actual fundraiser themselves are pretty benign. 
But if you do let the press in, you got to watch your six. When you're giving speeches, uh, the opening remarks, you got to make sure not to pander to your donor class or say something that might be antithetical to your broader, broader message. Remember, Mitt Romney got in trouble by giving his. What was it, the 47 percent line, I think it was where he said 47 percent of the country will never vote for me ever under any circumstance. And in fact, 47 percent are. The reason they won't vote for me is because they're entitled and lazy. They don't work hard and they want the government to do everything for them. Well, that was his perspective. And he was basically saying, but I can captivate the other 50 plus percent of Americans. And that's what we're doing together, blah, blah, blah. Well, he gave that speech. There was no press at that event for Mitt Romney, but a waiter, one of the freelance waiters recorded the whole thing audio wise on his cell phone. And that was in part he, uh, Mitt Romney's undoing because it's like, aha, I knew you weren't one of us. You're one of those rich guys who doesn't care about the little guy. So you got to watch your six now that uh, Buttigieg has decided to open up his fundraisers to press. But Buttigieg is a very savvy, savvy politician. So he goes, okay, that's the rules. Got it. I'll just not say anything stupid. But he forgot about the optics. So he's hosting a couple days ago this event at the wine cave with crystals from the ceiling. And it goes in and it's this vault, these vaulted ceilings. It's a beautiful facility with $900 bottles of wine being served. Well, in a Democratic primary, if that doesn't seem very one percent, I don't know what is. So, of course, the inevitable clash was coming. And it's the easy hit. Remember, Elizabeth Warren wants to make this contest a not so much a purity contest, but a clash between Elizabeth Warren, who is eschewed now traditional fundraising, although we'll talk about what she did when she was a senator or when she was running for the Senate. But she uh, she's now powered by small donors exclusively. She wants to make this between her and corrupt uh, corrupt money in politics, big banks, Wall Streets and special interests. If that becomes the conversation, she is winning. That's on message. So, of course, she wants to pick a fight with Pete Buttigieg because it's on message. So listen to this clash. Listen to this. So the mayor just recently had a fundraiser that was held in a wine cave full of crystals and served $900 a bottle wine. Um, think about who comes to that. He had promised that every fundraiser he would do would be open door, but this one was closed door. We made the decision many years ago that rich people in smoke-filled rooms would not pick the next president of the United States. Billionaires in wine caves should not pick the next president of the United States. Mr. Mayor, your okay. response. You know, according to Forbes magazine, I am the, literally the only person on this stage who's not a millionaire or a billionaire. So if, this is important. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. If I pledge, 
If I pledge never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine. Now, supposing that you went home feeling the holiday spirit, I know this isn't likely, but stay with me, and decided to go on to peeforamerica.com and give the maximum allowable by law, $2,800. Would that pollute my campaign because it came from a wealthy person? No, I would be glad to have that support. We need the support from everybody who is committed to helping us defeat Donald Trump. Ah, very tricky. Pete saw that coming a mile away, and so did his team. Well, uh, the problem, as you'll see in the next exchange, while he had a good oppo research attack on Senator Warren, the lasting effect, uh, the takeaway of this debate is that Pete was in the wine cave hobnobbing with special interests and he's beholden to them. That's, that's the takeaway. I, I, I can't stand personally. I can't stand it when, uh, Pete goes, well, Senator Warren, you're richer. You're more rich than I am. You're a hundred times more rich, which is actually not wrong. Pete is on the poverty line because he's a part-time mayor living on that on, on whatever that salary is. Uh, of course, his worth is going to change dramatically after the after he loses, likely the presidential race. He's going to write a book. He's going to give speeches at hundred thousand dollars or fifty or hundred thousand dollars a pop. He's going to be just fine. He's going to get into the seven figure category very quickly. But attacking attacking Warren, um, you know, doesn't seem fair for she basically has sold a lot of books and speeches. In other words, I just, I don't know if that's, that's a very fair attack, but the, but the frame is essentially Warren wants to make this about not giving in to special interests. She wins when you have that conversation and Buttigieg is saying, all I care about is beating Donald Trump. And I'm willing to take, you got to play by the rules. I got to take everybody's cash because I got to do what I got to do to beat Donald Trump and those rich 1% Republicans. You know, truthfully, if I think about which message is strong enough or stronger, I think, I think Elizabeth has more stickiness. It, it generates more intensity, but Buttigieg is, he's making the best out of a bad situation because the truth be told, it's not about Donald Trump for Buttigieg. He needs the money to win the primary. He can't run a race. He hasn't built a small donor machine to the same magnitude as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. He hasn't. He needs the money to beat her. <laughs> That's what it's about. He's spending every shekel that he's raised in this primary. He's not saving it to run against Donald Trump. <laughs> no, it's to beat Elizabeth Warren and her, quote, grassroots camp powered campaign. Here's the other thing, and you're going to see this him uh, in the next exchange. Buttigieg is going to allude to this. I've talked about this on the show. Part of the secret to Elizabeth Warren's campaign success, although she's in a slump right now, has been that she started out her campaign with a over $10 million transfer from her Senate account to her presidential uh, federal account. Now, how did she, where'd that money come from? Oh, good question. It came from smoke-filled rooms 
in wine caves with lobbyists and special interests because she had no problem taking that cash when she was running for the U.S. Senate. But now it's a purity issue. So uh, she lives in a glass house. We'll also get a new exchange she had on CNN, and I'll dissect that. It was post-debate. Uh, I'll dissect that because that's actually more interesting. This Pete's wine cave thing um, is going to endure. In fact, Bernie Sanders' chief strategist and a bunch of his team people came wearing T-shirts, black T-shirts with white lettering in the spin room. And it said Pete'sWineCave.com. They premeditated this attack from Bernie Sanders and they're raising money on it. Because again, it's a good hit for Bernie Sanders. Because Bernie's also entirely, you know, small dollar funded at this point. So branding Pete Buttigieg, pulling him down in Iowa and reframing what the narrative of this contest is about, at least for the next few weeks, the special interests versus the grassroots. That's where both Warren and Sanders want to be. I actually thought the t-shirt move was, was brilliant. Pete's wine cave. Plus it's so damn catchy. Pete's wine cave. <laughs> it sounds so elite and it is. Okay. Let's listen to the next clash uh, in this exchange between Warren and. Committed to helping us defeat Donald Trump. Senator Warren, I'd like to give you a chance to respond. I do not sell access to my time. I don't do call time Hold with millionaires and billionaires. Sorry, as of I when, don't Senator? Meet, I don't meet behind closed doors with big dollar donors. And look, I've taken one that ought to be an easy step for everyone here. I've said to anyone who wants to donate to me, if you want to donate to me, that's fine. But don't come around later expecting to be named ambassador. Because that's what goes on in these high dollar fundraisers. I said no, and I asked everybody on this stage to join me. This ought to be an easy step, and here's the problem. If you can't stand up and take the steps that are relatively easy, can't stand up to the wealthy and well-connected when it's relatively easy when you're a candidate, then how can the American people believe you're gonna stand up to the wealthy and well-connected when you're president and it's really hard? Judy. Senator, Senator, I've got to respond. Mr. Mayor, we're going to give you one more chance to respond. If you can't say no to a donor, then you have no business running for office in the first place. But also, Senator, your presidential campaign right now, as we speak, is funded in part by money you transferred, having raised it at those exact same big ticket fundraisers you now denounce. Did it corrupt you, Senator? Of course not. So to denounce the same kind of fundraising guidelines that President Obama went by, that Speaker Pelosi goes by, that you yourself went by until not long ago in order to build the Democratic Party and build a campaign ready for the fight of our lives. These purity tests shrink the stakes of the most important elections. Judy, we, we like to bring everyone in. We like to bring don't, don't give me those purity tests, he says. <laughs> You'll see in the CNN uh, interview, Van Jones talks about this purity test and how he's so deeply concerned. But look, uh, Senator Warren does live in a glass house on this issue. She is funded by special interests and now she's not. Uh, but she's got the upper hand in this case. Pete's wine cave 
with $900 bottles of wine and crystal chandeliers is a much more damaging image while Pete continues to rake in this special interest cash. It, it's, a, it's a much more memorable attack than Pete's counterpunch, even though Pete saw it coming. Um, and then Klobuchar had an exchange. I'm not going to play it, but she, uh, she, she clearly personally cannot stand Pete Buttigieg because she thinks he's a, uh, he has no experience and, and, uh, he's just a politician with a slick talker who actually hasn't done anything. And she's right. <laughs> she's absolutely right about the mayor. Um, but, uh, I, I, it's also interesting how the GOP now that they've, they've clearly done testing. They're calling him part-time mayor Buttigieg. And why are they, why are they calling him part-time mayor Buttigieg? It's actually pretty smart. If you think about it, because not only is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which is a relatively small city in the scheme of things, but he's a part-time mayor. It's not even a full-time job. It just belittles him and, it, and, it, and it, it highlights his inexperience is what it does. That's, you're going to see the GOP rolling that out more and more and more. Now, let's get to Elizabeth Warren when she sat down with the CNN panel after the interview was over because this was the toughest spot and I'll dissect how I think she did. Um, I think she did as well as she possibly could have. Maybe there are a couple things I could tweak, but let's first, let's first. How do, you, how do you respond though when, when Pete says, you're a millionaire, you are a millionaire. Are you saying if I take money from you, I'm corrupt? I didn't hear you respond to that. Oh. It, 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 am I, if I run for office, well, I never will, and I took money from you, would I be corrupt? I said, I don't sell access to my time. So, so, it's, it's so not, whether it's not you give me $5 or whatever is the maximum, I'm not spending my time doing call time. I'm not spending my time having private are you conversations about the, with are you, you. Are you worried I'm about this whole idea? I'm not selling a photograph like I, I, for $5,000. Well said, well said. But are you worried? When he says a thing, when he, when he says a thing, purity tests, that resonates with me. Yeah. I do feel that there's something beginning to happen in the party where you've got to be pure on every issue. You've got to be above. And, and a lot of people start feeling left out and excluded by your kind of populism, which can sometimes sound elitist. Does that make sense to you? You know, that's not how I see it. I don't think the American people are looking for purity. I think they're looking for someone who's trying. And that's what I'm doing. I'm out there trying. I said, I'm going to run a campaign from grassroots donations. Uh, I suppose at that point I'm supposed to say, please go to ElizabethWarren.com and pitch in five bucks if you think that's how a campaign should run. I do call time. Do you know who I called in my last call time? A couple of people who gave five bucks each, somebody who gave 20 bucks. But, you, but Senator, you, Senator you, didn't ask, you didn't answer Chris's question, which is, for six years you did raise money that sure. way. Did you feel corrupted by the money you were raising? I saw what it is that people expect in return. And I also understand... But you didn't give it. I understand that the American people who watch this government work better and better and better for giant corporations and for rich people want to hear someone who I will take on the billionaires I will I will fight 
to beat back the influence of money in Washington. I'm building a grassroots movement, and you know what the number one thing we start with is? It's anti-corruption. I have the biggest anti-corruption plan since Watergate, and it's about campaign contributions and so much more. This was legitimately a hard exchange. Uh, She pushed back, and it was a... I thought the purity question um, was was pivoted quite well from her uh, about it's not really about purity, although it actually is. But she's saying it's not. It's about not being beholden. And that's and that's the hook. Um, And so she pivoted back to message. Then, of course, Axelrod pushes And you can see a tell that Axelrod doesn't like her very much uh, because he knows she's being disingenuous and all of that. But he pushes back and says, well, you took the money. You took 10 million or whatever when you ran for for Senate. Were you not purchased? Because, of course, he thinks he's got her. She's going to say, well, I wasn't purchased, but everybody else was right. She didn't take the bait. She pushed back. Uh, Good exchange overall. Yes, this is difficult to maneuver, but she's comfortable in this space as running as the anti-corruption crusader. And again, she wants to have this conversation. She wants to be attacked on this because the longer we're talking about not being beholden to special interests, it's a beautiful juxtaposition to almost everybody else other than Uncle Bernie on the stage. So plus one for. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders would have loved to have that clash. And you can see because they came with pre-designed t-shirts, Pete'sWineCave.com, that they wanted to fundraise. They wanted to make an issue out of it. Uh, but Elizabeth stole that moment in a, in a, in a better way. And so will this have lasting damage on Pete? I think so. Yeah. It's starting to frame him as, um, beholden to special interests and not for them, not us. Uh, so, We'll see how he negotiates it, but I don't think he will. There's no time to turn down the big dollar fundraisers, first of all, because they're on the books. And secondly, when Kamala Harris disappeared from the race, uh, the the major bundlers seem to be split between Biden and Buttigieg. So why wouldn't he's going to keep capitalizing and just say, damn the torpedoes, I'm taking the money. She but Warren loves this exchange. No doubt about it. You know, I've got to say, I really am impressed with Yang. Uh, the number one of these stayed alive for so long with zero path to actually win the nomination. But um, he just has a way, it's awkward, but he has a way of delivery that just seems so damn honest. Again, he's not going to be president. I think he probably turns around and runs for governor somewhere or maybe in the U.S. Senate in some smaller state. But he just has a likability and an honest factor to him um, that he'll say things that you don't expect somebody to candidly say. Now he's wrong on his policy prescriptions. He, he, he talked about one tonight called democracy dollars, which is basically he wants to cut every single American, give them all hundred dollar checks and it's like monopoly money, but real, but it's real money from the taxpayer. 
give everybody a hundred dollar check that they can then give to candidates of their choice. Because he says that's how we change democracy and, and neutralize the special interests. And he made this broad leap, which I have no idea how he got there, but he said, uh, we need more women in elected office. And the reason we don't have more women in elected office is because women have to pander to men for money. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. Uh, I don't know how he gets there, but that's what he said. Women have to pander to men for money. And so if everybody had these democracy dollars, women would, I guess, receive a disproportionate amount of money for their campaigns. And if they just had money, they'd win. Ah, if it was only that simple, but that's wrong on so many levels. And you know how this would actually play out in practice. The simple thing to do to fund your campaign is to go pander and give away free crap to people in exchange for their tax dollars, uh, their democracy cash or whatever you want to call it. So a guy like Andrew Yang just goes and says, if you support my campaign with your hundred dollars, I will give each of you a thousand dollar giveaway. Oh wait, he's doing that right now, but he'll, but you'll get into a bidding war. If you support my campaign, I'll give you free everything. Just give me your hundred dollars. Support me now. Oh, that's great. That's just a brilliant idea. Not to mention where the hell are we going to fund the money? Now, Joe Biden advocated for eliminating completely private donations and making all of our elections publicly funded. I don't know if you've heard of how that works. That idea is floated all the time. It's floated in LA city and elsewhere that, you know, dollars corrupt and asking for money is corruption. And so if you just had public funding, if every candidate was given a chunk of money by taxpayer dollars, just here you go, that that would be fair. Well, actually it's not fair. It's, it's unfair for a whole host of reasons. If, if, Andrew Yang has the same amount of money as Joe Biden. Guess who wins? Joe Biden. Because he starts out with name ID that Andrew Yang can never match because he'll never be able to overtake Joe Biden in spending. Not to mention that people's dollars are an investment in you. They're your economic vote. Not to mention that little thing called speech. That money is speech. But <laughs> anyway, the... <laughs> Their policy prescriptions are completely crazy. However, I did find one thing that I agree with Andrew Yang on. He did an interview on CNN in the spin room after the debate. And he was asked about why he, on the debate stage, said that the Democrats are going too hard on impeachment. And this is what he had to say. I actually just have a question. At the very beginning of the debate, the questions were about impeachment. And I spent time with you in Iowa last month. You mentioned this to me there, and you said it again now, and it's even more relevant, and that is the Democrats are spending way too much time on impeachment. Now that the president has been impeached and it's heading to the Senate for a trial, do you still feel that way? 
I've been campaigning nonstop since we spent time together yeah. in Iowa. I can't even remember anyone asking me a question about impeachment. Right. Americans are not focused on this in the same way that the networks are. Uh, and to me, there's just a crucial number of zero. That's the number of Republicans that have signaled that they're going to cross party lines and you need 20 in the Senate. So in, until that number becomes greater than zero, unfortunately, this does seem like a foregone conclusion. And, it's, and do you still think it's hurting your party and whomever the candidate who goes up against Trump will be? I was disappointed that I seem to have the uh, like uh, the lone difference of opinion up there where everyone else was signaling impeachment, impeachment. And when I talk to Americans, a lot of them are saying, look, um, I don't care as much about impeachment as the fact that I'm choosing between my drugs and my heating oil or I'm, or that my kid uh, is depressed. Like those are the issues that voters tell me that they're focused on. There it is. Yang and I had very similar experiences in Iowa. I've talked about it on this show that nowhere did I go when I was either speaking with voters, Democrat voters, or attending town halls or these rallies in Iowa. Impeachment wasn't mentioned because it's not a top issue of concern, not even to Democratic uh, caucus goers in a place like Iowa. Yang's Absolutely right on this one. Good for him for making the argument. I don't think he's going to be rewarded electorally uh, for saying that because he's not he's not shifting. It's interesting. His platform is so far left, perhaps even more left than Bernie and Elizabeth. Yet he doesn't take a hundred percent of the far left position, which is impeach at all costs. He he took a more pragmatic view. I I think. He puts pragmatism first in this sense, but then all of his other policies are pure socialism. So <laughs> uh, he's lost me there, but he did make a good point um, with this. Well, that's, those are the main things that I'm watching. Of course, uh, I will be with, with uh, KFI in the morning if you want to catch me at 9 a.m. Pacific. I do hope that this podcast was somewhat instructive. It helped unpack some of the uh, some of the takeaways of these debates. I, I actually really, even though they are getting boring, I still I still enjoy it because I like watching what each candidate is trying to do. They're trying to do the right thing strategically. At this point, the candidates are still left on stage, are trying their best. Oh, you know who I didn't talk about? Not a big deal. He's not going to win this race, but Tom Steyer. I'd say he gave his best performance to date. He really just punched the lines really hard. He tried to show as much passion as he could, but I just don't, I don't see him breaking through. Same thing with Klobuchar. I thought this was by far her best performance. I mean, some, it's possible to argue she even won the debate, but it's too little, too late. So she should have come out swimming like this months ago. And, uh, Timing's everything, especially in presidential politics. If you want to tweet me, of course, you can tweet me at The Thomas Guide. I'm on Facebook. We can go to theteaguide.com. And if you like the show, uh, share it with a friend. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Thomas Guide. We'll catch you next time.